Hello and welcome to episode 726 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, August 13th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo today. I've got a really fun topic, or I think so. I hope you guys agree. I'm going to be talking about 2020 pitchers, uh, namely my top 30-ish. And uh, the ish is obviously uh, is for two reasons. One, because I'm going to talk about you know more than more than 30 pitchers, and the the order is certainly ish, meaning th- there's going to be movement. Um, and uh, I guess I'm, I might not necessarily do a deep dive on on everybody here when I say I talk. I'm going to talk about more than 30 guys, but there's going to be more than 30 names without a doubt. So basically, what I did recently was take some time to really kind of look at where things are where they've been uh you know over the last two years and try to assess what we've got going into next year um obviously this year does have a lot of weight it is it is where where they're currently at but you can't forget guys that have that have dipped down or been hurt or that could still emerge i do have some scenarios that i want to talk about individually um about maybe why they're not where maybe some folks would think they're going to be talk a little bit about some guys who i think are kind of on the come up and uh so yeah we, we've got we've got a lot to talk about here i think we have actually you know what I, i'll tell you what if i can kind of eyeball it here i didn't even i made my list i've got my list here in the uh in the excel that we're looking at or that i'm looking at you guys can't see it and i didn't i didn't number it necessarily uh after 30 so i didn't know how many names i have but i have 49 i might as well get a 50th so i'm just trying to figure out who that 50th name is right now and and maybe add that person on and kind of say hey they're they're in the crew as well uh, i think I, I think i've got it i think i've got it how about how about kenta maeda i don't know at, at that point you know it's already hard enough to kind of limit it to 30, but then as we've talked about, you know, I call it the glob, a big glob really starts around there. So there's probably 20 other names I could have put in that spot, but I'm a Kenta Maeda fan. He's always good for some quality work. Volume's always limited. They really do manipulate uh, what they do with this contract. You know, he'll be 32 next year, but he's still striking out over a batter per inning. You got to figure 130 innings. Of like a high threes, low fours, ERA, good whip, those strikeouts, high win potential, so he can be in there. But anyway, here's a list of some of the guys that that aren't going to make it in addition to Maeda, and maybe a little bit of of reasoning as to why. Carlos Carrasco was somebody that obviously has the talent to unquestionably be a top 30 guy. I know he always goes through ups and downs. Uh, we learned this year that maybe some of his downs right before he went on the IL were due to the fact that he's dealing with leukemia. I believe it was originally diagnosed as a blood disorder or situation that was causing him to be fatigued. And I mean, you can't even imagine what it's like, especially come like start day and he's slogging out of bed after seemingly a good eight hours and doesn't know what's going on and just trying to go out there and give it his best, gets beaten around the yard and and they can't figure out what's going on. So there were some ups and downs with Carrasco. The the we're all hoping for the best here with the leukemia situation. The news so far has always been positive, suggesting that he can even maybe pitch this year. They're fully in the race. If that can happen, that'd be great. I've got him on the outside looking in because of that uncertainty. 
And I don't know how much of the 4.98 ERA he had in in 12 starts for Carrasco to write off to the leukemia, and how much of it is a scenario where um, you know he's kind of pulling back a little bit. I do think the home run bug definitely got him. I don't know that that's necessarily just uh, feeling sick because it went from 1.0 to 1.9, and and that's something that happened to so many guys that again I'm just not sure. Although I will say it was mostly confined to that second month, May where he, he gave up a ton of home runs. Carlos Carrasco did. Let me see here. So he had a 1.3 mark in April, which is not good, but it's 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 palatable, especially if there are a lot of solo shots. But then Carrasco's home run rate skyrocketed to 2.4 in May. And, of course, he was done in May, and, and uh, all of a sudden the leukemia uh, diagnosis comes through. And so maybe maybe some of it is just dealing with that and once fully healthy – we should expect him to maybe get back closer to either the 1-3 because Carrasco has been at 1.0, 0.9, and 1-3 the last three years. So maybe you figure rabbit ball if it's still here in 2020. Carrasco will be maybe around a 1-3. Again, palatable. Strikeouts were still there, though. 79 strikeouts in 65 innings. With due respect to the situation that he's dealing with, maybe a little bit extra time here spent on him because... Right now, he's just such a wild card that we're going to go ahead and move on. So that's Carlos Carrasco. Brendan McKay, somebody who's definitely a hard-charging riser, but um, hard to really get him in the top 30 just yet. He has 29 and two-thirds major league innings. They've been impressive. He'll be a mid-round guy that uh, will get his hype. He'll probably get blown up in some drafts way too high and maybe be a deal in others. He'll be a volatile guy, but Brendan McKay, not quite a top 30 guy, but certainly somebody who's in that next 15 to 20 range. Zach Gallen, similarly, um, isn't quite there yet, although I shouldn't have even said similar. I regret saying similar because there's so many differences. Um, he's not nearly the heralded prospect. And he actually, well, okay, one thing I was, I thought there were two differences. I was going to say Gallen's not near the prospect of McKay, and he has a lot more innings. He only has 41 and a third. For some reason, I had him down in mentally for like 65, 70 already, but he's not quite there. So, the only real difference, I guess, is is how heralded of a prospect uh, Gallon was versus McKay. And let me see, did uh, did Gallon appear on any top 100s? No, he he was kind of a back end, like he was a prospect in the Miami system, but he wasn't a top 100 guy. But anyway, he's been really impressive. Uh, the walks are a little bit high, but he's difficult to square up. He's getting his strikeouts. I like him in Arizona. Um, you know, leaving Miami's park is, is tough, but you get the humidor and a much better team supporting you. Yes, there's going to be some cooler starts, including one, I believe, tonight for Zach Gallen. But, um, no, I really do like him. And, again, going to be in that mid-tier where we're really going to be shopping for, for this year's up-and-comers. For example, like maybe a Max Fried brand, the, the 2020 version of a Max Fried and Brandon Woodruff. Two guys who also are not going to make the uh, the top 30 here. Uh, for different reasons, Max Fried just just somebody who's on the rise. That's interesting, but again, not quite top thirty yet. He has certainly done some interesting things. He's had a little bit of uh, ups and downs with his effectiveness. But the lefty, former big time prospect, who was kind of looking like not that he was toast or anything, just you're either going to be a back end guy or a reliever. He incorporated that slider, and Max Fried has really become something a lot more interesting and a lot more in line with what his prospect pedigree was suggesting. So he's got the strikeouts working at a 24% clip, 7% walk rate uh, in 120 innings this year, 411 ERA, 137 whip. You see maybe just um, tweaking or, or honing the slider on the over the offseason, 
just having another a full year of experience, really, because uh, he had, let's see, eyeballing that, about 60 innings of Major League work prior to this year, so he's already doubled his workload. So I think Freed could, could have a breakout season next year, but we're not quite there. Uh, Brandon Woodruff did have his breakout, and I really love him, and he certainly would have been a top 30 guy if he was upright right now. If he was still pitching, and I guess unless he was getting blitzed um he's been out for a little bit now brandon woodruff has if he was getting blitzed in the interim starts from when he was injured until now in a fictional world where he hadn't gotten injured then maybe things would be different but if he was still pitching the way he had been then brandon woodruff would definitely be in my top 30 he was someone i really liked coming into the year strained oblique really bothers me it's going to cost him a lot of this latter portion of the season we'll see how he finishes when he returns that's why this is such an ish with the with the entire list in terms of how it could change. Because um, if he comes back strong, I could definitely see myself getting back on the Brandon Woodruff train and uh, all of a sudden bringing him up into my top 30. We also have Julio Urias, who's not going to make the top 30, but I really I'm going to be intrigued by what happens with his draft stock next year. He's been a reliever this year. That's that's the main reason. He's simply going to just end up with like, what, 80-something-ish 80, 80 innings. The 22-year-old lefty, remember? I don't think it's hyperbole to suggest that his career was kind of in doubt a bit with the shoulder capsule situation. That's known to be a really major issue as far as an injury goes. And so there was questions about, you know, is he ever going to reach the heights that are projected for Julio Urias? Uh, or is he going to be relegated to maybe a bullpen role, a back-end role? Or again, is he even going to is he even going to pitch? He's back. He's good. <clears throat> it's awesome. And uh, we've seen him this year in 65 innings split between a, a relief and some, some starts. But for the most part, he's been a reliever. But he's got the 64 and two-thirds. Strikeout rate's up at 25%. There might even be a bit more there, to be quite honest. With his swing and miss, he's 22-year-old, super impressive lefty who not only has his velo back, uh, but it's the best it's ever been in the majors, 95.3 miles per hour. So he's super intriguing. Of course, the way the Dodgers work everything, Julio Urias will probably have his innings manipulated. Also, because he'll be coming off of like an 80, well, maybe upwards of, 95 100 innings when you factor in playoffs so he should be able to you know be ready for 140 plus innings that would work but it's not quite top 30 worthy right now until we get a clearer picture on where he's at i don't think even a great finish to the season would get me there for julio Urias, but i know that i'm going to be interested in him and really eager to see how things pan out the rest of this year and what uh, what his draft stock looks like going into, into next year 2020 i'll be doing that 2020 draft at the arizona fall league in mid-october this year so even a couple weeks earlier hell urias could be pitching while i'm doing it uh because the playoffs will be going on the the major league baseball did move the arizona fall league up so first pitch arizona is moved up as well so i'm eager to see how that goes jameson tyone you guys know how much i loved him coming into the year um he wasn't quite pitching to you know, a high level through seven starts, but the 410 ERA and 113 whip were something that I, I still saw a lot of what I liked about Jamison Tyon coming into the year. I, I had not wavered on him 1%. He was someone to buy 
but then a flexor strain has now cost him the rest of the season and limited him to just these 37 innings. So he can't quite, yeah, he can't crack the top 30. Uh, he is actually more of a back-end top 50. These guys aren't necessarily ranked. By the way, I listed them. It's the order I've listed them, but they're, they're not ranked. Once we get to the top 30, that's more of a, a, a tighter ranking if you want to talk about that in the comments or, or hit me up on Twitter, at Spore. But yeah, Jamison Tyon, he'll be cheaper next year, a lot cheaper. Uh, maybe he could even go as late as, say, 55, 60 among starters in some leagues if he, if he becomes kind of an afterthought. And I'll be there to scoop up the Jamison Tyon shares and uh, and stay bought in on my guy there, provided we don't get any more negative uh, injury news as far as the rest of this year and the offseason for Jamison Tyon. Robbie Ray is somebody who kind of is who he is. He had that dream season in 2017. That's the absolute peak of what he can do. And I just don't really expect him to repeat it. But there is value in his high threes ERA with a boatload of strikeouts for 100 and, you know, 60 to 160 to 175 innings. He only threw a buck 24 last year, but he's up at a buck 40 this year with still a month and a half left in the season. So Robbie Ray, 185 strikeouts, by the way, in those 140 innings. He's good. He's just not, uh, he's never really been my cup of tea because I don't like the whip damage that he does. But if you're patient with him and you don't buy into the ups and uh, ups and downs of what his season seemingly always does, at some point he'll have like a mid to high fours ERA, maybe even a low fives, and then have to work it down. This year he's actually been a bit more consistent. Um, the high watermark on his ERA was his first start of the year, which we don't we don't really count. I mean, who cares? It was a 5.40 ERA because he went five innings, three runs. But then um, the next highest was 4.64, four starts in. Ever since then, Robbie Ray has kept it uh, 418 or lower, and as low as a 314. So he really hit a a low mark a while ago, back in mid-May, and he hasn't been bad since, but he's just been kind of, eh, 443 over his last 91 and a third with 124 strikeouts. He is what he is, not great, not awful, certainly somebody you can stick in your rotation and be happy. Uh, Another guy who won't be on... Definitely an injury situation. I mean, he's essentially missing the whole season at this point. Luis Severino. I can't do it. Um, I can't put a guy like that top 30 when he hasn't pitched at all this year. And it it seems to be looking more and more like he won't. So that's not going to be for me. But we'll have to see where the price goes. And if it is something where he is in the 40s, 50s, I, I don't think he'll get much beyond that. He's on the Yankees. He's been an ace for multiple seasons, um, it won't fall too far. There is, a, there is a range there where I'm comfortable and I would jump back in, but I'm not putting Luis Severino on my top 30. Can't put Luke Weaver there right now yet either. Uh, loved what he was doing with his breakout season. He was so cheap. It was so great. He was really tilting the uh, scales for the Goldschmidt trade to really look kind of even for the for the Diamondbacks there. But a, a mild flexor pronator strain and minor UCL sprain have really undercut his season after the 62 and a third. He's supposed to be out until the end of August. If that stretches too much into you know mid-September and they don't even have anything going on, he might come back for a couple starts. So it really stinks to see his season undercut like that. I like Luke Weaver. I'll be buying back in, but hopefully on the cheap. If, if the price is too high, I'll peel back. But I think this injury and the fact that it's only 62 innings of big success... It won't drive the price up too much. Uh, Mike Miner's been great. 
this year, and he really was in the second half last year, so it's not just confined to this season. But I can't quite get him top 30 yet. He's still going to be in Texas. I believe they're opening their new stadium next year, though. So we don't really know how that's going to play. It's going to be an indoor stadium. So the climate effects of Texas shouldn't be as substantial when you're talking about a climate-controlled stadium at this point. So... You know, he's got a 1.16 homer per nine this year. That's really strong in Texas. That's allowed him to have a 290 ERA, uh, 117 whip. He's striking out a batter per inning, uh, a little bit over, in fact, 159 and 155 innings. Like I said, solid little workhorse season last year at a 150, 157 innings with a 418 ERA and a 112 whip. I like him, but the 32-year-old lefty... Um, has only one well never mind i was i was gonna kind of rag on his innings counts a little bit but really he only has the one low like unusable well it's not unusable it wasn't it wasn't a starter season he had the 77 and two-thirds with the royals but he was a reliever mike minor was but he's been pretty good for at least a buck 50 in his five seasons as a full-time starter uh, 179, 205, 145, 157, and 155 and counting this year. So that's pretty good. In this era, if you get to about a buck 50 and, and you're putting good, uh, good numbers up with it, that plays. Obviously, in the 145 season for Mike Miner, he was bad, 477 ERA, 144 whip. But in these, these lower inning seasons, well, the lower inning season last year, 157, that was still useful. 418 ERA and 112 whip for Mike Miner. So I like him, just not quite good enough to really get into the uh, to get into the top 30 right now. Zach Wheeler, somebody. First off, we got to kind of see where he lands. And you guys know I'm tepid on guys that are in the first year of a big deal. And he could get kind of a Patrick Corbin type deal. Now Patrick Corbin has has busted that that up. By the way, of as far as being concerned about guys coming over, I will say this. It's not that they're guaranteed to fail or 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 be lesser. I mean, natural regression if they if they're coming off like a career year the way Corbin is was, you're just making it some natural regression. But I'm usually more concerned when they go to become the top dog, um, and Corbin certainly wasn't that. I'm not backpedaling to try to suggest that you know I was still in on Corbin. No, I worried about him. I had my first year of a big deal concerns and and regression off of a. Uh, career year from 2018 but as I kind of think more about this I'm like well is it it, does it have more to do with becoming the top dog it's just I just like to see the adjustment period um, in that first year not so much with trades it's more about getting the big dollars and having the big expectations placed upon you and I want to see how how guys react to that in in first year pitchers uh, with their with their big deal in hand I'm just usually a little bit more tepid. And so we'll see where Zach Wheeler lands. If he sticks with the Mets, even though it would be with a a big deal, I I would be more inclined to stay bought in on him. If it's, you know, somewhere else where he, like I said, he is the top dog or or kind of a 1A to somebody else's one who's a little bit more established with the team, I'll I'll still probably fall back a a little bit. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how Zach Wheeler's season finishes and exactly where he goes, but he's not quite top 30 worthy, especially because he simply hasn't been that great this year either. In fact, tonight, as I'm as I'm recording this, he's given up five earned in five innings. Eduardo Rodriguez, Sonny Gray, Herman Marquez are three guys who also didn't quite make it. I like Eduardo. Uh, he continues to be somebody who interests me, frustrates me, and I, I always worry about that lower half 
injury that seemingly crops up all the time. Another guy who just on the composite this year simply hasn't been good enough to merit a top 30. So um, still an intriguing guy. And let the, I, he's a big reason, Eduardo Rodriguez, is that I wanted to make sure that you guys didn't think that these were ranked because he'd actually probably be closer to the bottom of this, uh, what, what ostensibly is a top 50, if I had ranked the guys after 30. Uh, Gray, great year. Really love what he's doing out there in Cincinnati. Just a little shy. He's certainly somebody who could rise up, though, and finish in that top 30 by the time we get to an official ranking. You guys know how I feel about Herman Marquez and how I feel about Coors Field as well. I have no problem with him as like a top 40 guy, but I'm 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 not going to take him as <clears throat> excuse me I'm not going to take him in the top 30 starters. I'm, I'm just I'm just not going to do it. Tyler Glass now. Pretty straightforward one, too. It's very similar to the Luke Weaver situation. It was a great 48 innings of work, but he was cut down by a forearm strain that may cost him the rest of the year, and at most is you know he's going to come back for, what, another 20, 25 innings. So we're going to be dealing with a, a low workload season. Uh, it's really the first sample of excellence that we've seen. He was solid in his debut for 55 and two-thirds with Tampa Bay last year, but Tower Glass now... This was the breakout, and we lost it to injury, which really sucks. So I can't quite get him top 30. David Price just getting a little up there in years. You guys know I've always been a, a Price believer. I'll still happily take him, particularly as like a number three for my team if I'm a little bit more pitching heavy. Maybe a two if I am uh, leaning away from pitching maybe. Or, or say I have like a super ace. I wait a bit in those mid-rounds, get some hitting, and then come back around to Price as as my two. Um because I'm I'm gonna you know be working the middle of the of the pitching pool or something that's fine, but he's definitely not uh, somebody that I'm I'm loving for a top thirty consideration right now as he approaches age thirty four and also like Eduardo Rodriguez hasn't been that great this year. Kyle Hendricks is someone who just keeps doing it and he's right there on the cusp. Now I will say that Hendricks and the next guy I'm gonna say before I get into the top thirty they were purposeful they were kind of right there. Um, and Gray was was close too, as far as like the next ones on the board. So while I am, I've made a point to say that these guys thirty one through fifty weren't ranked. Kyle Hendricks and the and the guy right next to him, uh, Caleb Smith, they are pretty much right there. For me, you know, I've always had my reservations with with Kyle Hendricks for the same reasons that everyone does. But at some point, you have to acknowledge what he's doing. My real thing, the reason it became like kind of a meme, particularly in my stream about how I don't like Kyle Hendricks or whatever, is because MLB put him as a top 10 starter in their, you know, top 10 starters right now show a couple years ago. And that, I mean, that was silly. That was absolutely silly. Uh, he's never been a, you know, a top, a top 10 talent in the league. He had a top 10 season in 2016 when he put up a 213 ERA. I, I, I will grant that that was a top 10 season, but it was going into 2017. It, it wasn't a let's review 2016. So anyway, uh, he's still really good though, and you know he he gets slept on. The price is lower on Kyle Hendricks, makes him an interesting buy. He's just outside the top 30 for me. As is Caleb Smith. He falls in line with some of these other guys here who they they've really broken out this year. They don't quite have a full scale uh, sample of of excellence under their belt. Although I will say. 77 and a third last year before Caleb Smith was undercut by injury of quality work. And then 106 and two thirds so far this year of even even better work. Uh, you know, minor improvements almost across the board except for the home run rate. That continues to be an issue, though. 
that continues to be very worrisome with Caleb Smith. And so while I do like him for his strikeouts and what he can do, uh, particularly at home, there is still some concern about his ability to limit homers on, on the road and how that might impact his ERA. It hasn't killed him this year. He's got a 395 on the road as far as his ERA goes. But uh, Caleb Smith has, let's see here, a 2.3 homer per nine. So he's kind of lucky to have the 395 ERA, if I'm being honest. So a little, little trepidation with him. I do like him, though. I do still think there could be some development to improve that home run ball. And and the 28-year-old lefty, or he'll be 28 next year, uh, could be somebody who creeps into top 30. Right now, not quite there. Uh, so that's Caleb Smith. Now, getting into the top 30, these two guys at the at the tail end are probably going to raise some questions. First guy is, is Frankie Montas. Because you're going to say, well, how does he not have some of the same issues as these other guys who just broke out this year and then had their season cut short for whatever reason? Well, his whatever reason was a PED suspension, though. It was not health. And that's a major difference. Yeah, it sucks that he's on the shelf, but I don't believe that anything he took PED-wise is why he was good. And I don't think he's going to like rust over and forget how he was successful in 90 innings this year. He's always been a really intriguing arm, and he's really started to put things together. Last year, 65 innings, 388 ERA and a 146 whip because he allowed so many base uh, base runners via the hit. 10.3 hits per nine for Montas, and he wasn't striking guys out. He he cut his walk rate nearly in half, though, from 13 to 7%, and I think he was just trying to exhibit control. Can I control the ball? And, and there wasn't much command as evidenced by the hit rate and the lack of strikeouts. This year, he took what he learned from 2018, and Frankie Montas was not only showing the control, but also command. The walk rate went down even further to 5.7, we'll call it 6, so just a tick further. Um, but the strikeout rate went back up to 26%. The hit's down to 8.0, and he had a 270 ERA and 112 whip. I buy into a lot of what Frankie Montas did. So I am going to have him right there in the top 30. And I'm going to be interested to really see what the market does. Are they going to shy away because it's 90 good innings and then a PED suspension? Or are they going to look at the true talent and say, you know what? That split is awesome. The the heater is incredible when he's not overusing it. It's back up to 96.6 miles per hour too, by the way. That's a, a plus one for over last year. And and the splitter, or excuse me, and the slider is very strong. In fact, the slider was the driving force behind the strikeouts and a lot of the great performance for Frankie Montas in the first place. So I really like what he has to offer, and I've got him in the top 30. Now this next one, this is a, a, a specific case. So I will understand that if he's not, if he doesn't fall under this scenario, he's not top 30 right now. He would probably be on the outside looking in. That's Shohei Otani. The, the specific case is if you can also use him as a hitter. And so I would rank him as a top 30 pitcher because you would have, you would want to draft him where, where that top 30 guy where you know, 29 in this case, where the 29th pitcher would go to ensure that you got that amazing flexibility and the high quality that he can do. Because I still believe that Shohei Otani can be an elite pitcher. And we've seen this year, obviously he's recovering from Tommy John. We've seen that he's still a brilliant hitter. And a lot of folks wondered, well, what's he going to be able to do as he's recovering? How's he ever going to be able to like hit and be worth anything as a, as a hitter this year? And all he's done to that is played a half season so far, 81 games on the button, with 15 homers, 9 steals, 289 average, 351 OBP, and a 502 slug. 
How's that work? So he's basically like a 30-20 guy um, with 47 ribbies. So he's just shy of 100. You know, we're just doubling it up. Since we are on 81 games, it is easy to do that. And, uh, you know, would only pace out for 74 runs, but that speaks more to the Angels than to anything that that uh, Otani is or isn't doing. Don't forget how great he was last year as a pitcher. It was a limited sample, but it was legit. 50, 51 and two-thirds, 30% strikeout. He did walk 10% clip. I'm not that worried about that, though, when you have a 6.6 hits per nine. 331 ERA, 116 whip. He's, he's again, going to be one of the most uh, volatile, you know, or contentious draft discussions about where he goes. But Shoei Otani's a unicorn, and if you have the ability to kind of move him in between hitting and pitching, and so you can use him like that, I do think that that in, in, improves his his pitching stock, even if even if all the value isn't coming from pitching. I hope that makes sense. I understand it's a little bit of a niche situation, but hopefully every site gets on board to where you can use Shohei Otani like that because if he's going to legitimately hit when he's not pitching, you need to be able to use that. It shouldn't be two different players. Moving on, we have Yu Darvish, who has had a second-half renaissance for the ages, and I'm just I'm just super impressed with what he's been able to do with the walk rate. Because if even if you had told me, and I'm, I'm a Darvish believer, so so you say, hey, you, Mr. Mr. Rose-Colored Darvish glasses, uh, let's paint a realistic scenario. Or, or maybe something like this. Maybe they said, hey, I'll give you a 324 ERA from July 1st on, you know, that the seven-start run that he's in the midst of right now. You kind of give me the other numbers. There is no universe where I would have included two walks in those forty-one and two-thirds. No, it's not not possible. It's not possible. And so with the thir- with the thirty-two hits that Darvish has allowed, it's a .82 whip, which means the ERA maybe should even be lower. But he's had a little bit of a home run issue in this span, and that kind of goes back to. Perhaps some maybe command versus control. But I'll take this trade off here. He does have a 1.7 homer per nine uh, in this run here for you, Darvish. I love what he's doing, though. Two walks. Just to put that into some perspective. He had one, two, three, four games. Just four starts in his first 17 where you, Darvish, didn't walk two batters. All the other ones were at least two, several of which were four, five. There's a there's a five, six, and a seven in there. A three fours, four twos, or excuse me, four threes, and three twos. Very confusing. The bottom line is a shit ton of walks for Darvish, and now he has two in his last seven starts. That's very encouraging. This guy is still a remarkable talent. He's gonna be 33 next year, and even with this big run, he's only down to a 4.43 for his full season. I'm willing to have him in my top 30, though. The upside is still rich, even going into age 33, um, even with a bit of a home run issue that has developed. If he keeps the walks down, he doesn't have to be down at a you know two per 42 inning type situation. But if he keeps him at a manageable clip, say something between an 8 and 10% mark, I can live with that from Darvish. I just need something like that consistently, though, let alone if he's going to be elite with it the way he has been thus far. So he's in my top 30. Hyunjin Ryu, I understand that 
I, I keep saying this and I apologize, but I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating to see where he goes. I'm saying this about a bunch of guys, but it is really going to be fascinating to see where their draft stock lands. And I do wonder where Hyunjin Ryu is going to go off of this brilliant season that he's had because it isn't out of nowhere. It's just the volume uh, of it has been so substantial. Now, listen, it's it's unexpected for him to lead baseball in ERA and to lead the National League in whip. I'm not saying that, hey, we should have seen this in the cards, but it's not like he's never been good before is my point with Ryu. In fact, last year in a half season, 82 innings, 197 ERA and a one, a one whip on the dot. So we've seen him be great, even if it wasn't for an extended period of time. His career coming into this year, while injury riddled, was still 558 innings of a 320 ERA and a 122 whip. Hyunjin Ryu is a badass pitcher. You just never know what kind of volume you're going to get. And I wonder how far that down that's going to push him into the rankings. I've got him here at 27 right now. If you could guarantee me, even if, even if you can guarantee me 130 innings, which the fact that he did it this year was the first time he's done it since 2014. He's got 142 and two-thirds for Hyunjin Ryu this year. Uh, that's the first time he's eclipsed a buck 30 since 2014. And so even if you just guaranteed me that, I think I'd move him up to like 20. I believe in the talent. I just have no idea what the heck I'm going to get from a 33-year-old lefty with his kind of help, uh, health. excuse me. So I'm really eager to see where he goes. Uh, next up is Matthew Boyd. Got my, got my tiger here. He could be dealt in the offseason. I think that that's going to be... The Detroit's best chance at getting a, a robust return and um, I think it would improve his outlook in every conceivable way because even though Detroit uh, has some spacious parts of their park it's wretched defense um, and it isn't necessarily a great pitcher's park because really center field is but then a lot of the rest of the park plays up for, for hitters or, or neutral so it's not the most favorable home park ever um, this is another guy who kind of started this turnaround in the second half of last year and has really carried it over this year into a breakout season. Boyd is 29 next year, uh, left-hander, has 188 strikeouts in his 140 and two-thirds innings, 416 ERA, 117 whip. I know the ERA is a little bit high. I think some of that defense is starting to plague him. Now, he got walloped uh, yesterday, just yesterday, in fact. Or no, no. Um, just uh, five days ago. It wasn't yesterday. It was it was five days ago. So he should either start today or tomorrow for the Tigers. But uh, by KC, five runs, three homers. Uh, it was rough in just two and two-thirds. And that pushes the RA up over four again after he lowered it at Texas. But uh, e- even even while the ERA was a bit high, let me, let me, let me run this real quick here. From... June 13th to August 3rd, he had a nine-start run where he had a 523 ERA. He still had 82 strikeouts and 15 walks in 53 in the third innings. That's excellent work there, but he allowed 13 homers. Now, you can't blame that all on the defense. And uh, one thing I want to point out, though, is when I am watching, you will see sometimes, and I will peel back on that a little bit. I don't think the defense is it was a main culprit here, but sometimes poor defense does not show itself just in way of like unearned runs. It it shows it shows itself in miss in non-converted plays 
that don't count as errors, so they just extend innings or they you know turn singles into doubles and they allow runners to score from first on things where they should have either gone to just second or or third stuff like that. And I do think there's some of that for Boyd that he's had to deal with more in the second half of his season versus the first half. Bottom line is, though, even with a 4.16 ERA, I love what he's done this year. I've got him in my top 30. I could take a carbon copy of this. If you give me the 4.16 ERA, buck 17 whip, but you give it to me over 180 innings, I'm still taking it top 30. I'll take an over 4 ERA with that kind of whip, that kind of ERA, or excuse me, and that kind of strikeout rate. Just hopefully not on... The Tigers. I, I love the Tigers. That's my favorite team. I want them to trade a 29-year-old lefty, though, when they can when they can get a mint for him. At 25, it was difficult. Is James Paxton. When you watch him, you still see the flashes of brilliance, though. Health has been an issue throughout his career. The home run issue that he developed last year, I did have some concerns about how is he really going to answer that in new york of all places and he certainly hasn't it's gotten worse and so that's concerning and he's going to be 31 like he's kind of new on the scene as a stud it's been three four years but he's not young i mean he's gonna be 31 with a litany of injury history so i'm a little bit nervous in fact i'm almost second guessing myself at 25 right now i might i might actually bump him down um as i kind of shake these out further here I think he might still crack the top 30, but I think he's more of a 28 to 34 range sort of guy here, James Paxton is, and I am second-guessing myself just a little bit here on this one. I will move over to Mike Soroka. He's awesome. You know, you get your strikeouts elsewhere, and then you take somebody like like Soroka because he's going to give you the the ratios. And I really do think that they're going to be continue to be strong. He could even add strikeouts. This is a 22-year-old next year who now has 154 innings of a 252 ERA under his belt. He only has 124 strikeouts in that time. That's fine. Give me elite ratios, high win probability on a great team, and I'll figure out my strikeouts elsewhere. I love Mike Soroka. He's definitely a top 30 guy for me. James Paxton's teammate Domingo Herman will be too. Um, the upside of what he's able to do, he's been great this year. He's dealt with some is- injury issues himself, but he's 15-2. and two. Uh, that's gaudy. You know, you're not you're not pinning him down for that next year. That is part of why you draft guys on the great teams in hopes of high win probability, though. 405 ERA, but just a 112 whip, 117 strikeouts in his 109 innings. I think Domingo Herman could really put up a big 180 inning season next year with some health. I got Lucas Giolito up at th- uh, up at 22. If you had told me before the year that I would have that, I would have said that. You're absolutely insane. And I try to be open-minded about, you know, not burying guys and understanding that, hey, you know, um, these young pitchers can turn things around and never say never. And one of the things I like to quote when we see somebody trying to build their way back is like Scott Casimir, like the depths that he rose from when he was playing in, in independent ball and, and how he came all the way back, stuff like that. So, you know, even trying to have an optimistic view on Giolito, I wasn't even ranking him all the time. He was so bad last year. I just didn't see a lot of hope. So I thought we would see, if we saw a turnaround, I thought it would be more gradual. Instead, it came on a dime. He's been excellent this year. Really impressed with what he's done. I believe in a lot of what he's done. I'm really eager to see how he continues to develop, and I think he could be maybe not better next year. He has a 342 ERA and a 1. 
13 whip for Lucas Giolito this year, but he could do it more. Uh, it, he could do the same stuff or a little bit worse in a longer volume. I do believe in the strikeout capability, though, 171 in those 136 in two-thirds innings. I've got Zach Greinke at 21. Um, I might actually move him higher, to be honest, because he just he's just such a steady Eddie. I know that we're getting to that musical chairs part, part though, of or hot potato, where you don't want to be left holding the bag if he does tail off. He's going to be 36 next year. So maybe I will just leave him here. I think this is a, a good compromise. It's kind of where he's been landing pardon me, the last few years. He's awesome. He's with Houston now. Um, he'll probably come into the off, uh, spring training throwing like 71 on his fastball. Everyone will think he has to retire, and then he'll go put out 200 more innings of a low 3 ZRA and uh, a non-existent whip. Zach Greinke's a badass. At 20, I have Chris Paddock. Now, I'm thinking that they're going to turn the reins loose on him next year. That's part of this 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 bet here. He's got 110 innings right now. They can give him what another for like 15, 20. So if he's got a buck 30 under his belt, and and you figure, you know, what do you what do you put 1.5 on that? 1.25. I, I would think you could do 1.5 on a 24 year old um, if he ends up with like 130. The bottom line is that would be 195, and they have high aspirations in San Diego, so they're going to want Paddock to be a big part. Of, of what they're doing. They had high aspirations this year. It's part of why he broke camp along with Fernando Tatis. And, you know, the 55 and 63, it didn't quite work. I applaud the move that they did, though. They're going to continue to be pushing to open their window. And I think Paddock's going to be a big part of that. I've got him as a top 20 guy. Next up is Jack Flaherty. And he's he's really surged. Kind of looked a lot more like the guy he was last year recently. And I, I, I will freely admit, that I might be overly influenced on recently watching his last couple starts. Uh, like literally, not just, you know, catching a little bit of them on MLB Network highlights or anything like that, but but just flat out watching them. I was watching them live. That happened to be the games that I was picking. Uh, it, actually, his last three. I saw the Houston, Cubs, and Dodgers starts. Brilliant in all three. Three great teams. That's just impressive. Um, I don't want to be overly influenced by that, but it's not like those are his only three good starts of the year. He really had a lull there in the middle of the season. Actually, got off to a rough start, rebounded a bit, lulled again, and now is just absolutely on fire since July 7th. Six-start span for Jack Flaherty, .94 ERA, uh, 49 strikeouts against just 10 walks and 38 in the third. He's an absolute monster. I've got Jack Flaherty at 19. I could see some shuffling where maybe he's closer to, say, 24-25, but he's going to be in the top 25. I really love him. Uh, Charlie Morton, he's awesome, man. It's not about talent. It's it's all about health. And again, another hot potato type of guy, going to be 36 next year. If people are afraid of holding the bag on him, then I'll take a discount all day. Absolutely. If I, if I get him at a discount and I start to see that he's going closer to 27-28 starter off the board, I'll have so much Charlie Morton. I don't I don't even know. I was going to say your head will spin, but I don't know why your head would spin because of my Charlie Morton shares. Maybe my head will spin because I'll be so happy. Clayton Kershaw, next up, you know, he got doubted big time this year. I did find that strange. I, yeah, I'm victory lap. I don't, whatever. I'm so tired of, you can't, you can't say anything positive about somebody that you liked. It's a victory lap. Um, it shouldn't be, a, it, you don't need a victory lap. It's Clayton fucking Kershaw, dude. I, I, all I did was, uh, you know, the, 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 this was an open book test uh, uh, on this one. He was awesome last year. 
I understand the injury situation. I understand the volume situation. Doesn't matter. You don't, in today's game, you do not need 180 plus innings to be an absolute top 20 stud. Um, and so I really was perplexed by the, the, the Kershaw fade. I guess there was some hot potato behavior with him, but it didn't make sense to me. And he's actually improved his skills, his base skills on what he did last year. Well, actually, strikeout rates up, everything else. It's mostly even. Never mind, I'll take that part back. But it's been mostly just even. Um, he's got 130 innings so far. He should eclipse what he did last year. Uh, Kershaw had 161 innings. 277 ERA, 104 whip. He was 273, 104 last year. He's a monster. And I could feasibly take him higher here because I have a couple guys that, well, one guy is an injury issue, uh, not of his own making. It was a batted ball, which gives away who it is. Um, and then the guy right above that who was a little up and down this year, I could see Kershaw going above those two. But I got him 17. I'm happy with that. I'm definitely going to have some more shares next year because I, I think people will continue to fade him. I don't think there'll be a big buyback and everyone jumps back in on him. I think people will continue to push further, even if it's more of an inching as opposed to running away from Kershaw. But next up is Corey Kluber. Obviously, the fractured ulna on the batted ball um, undercut what he's been able to do this year. And he was pretty dreadful in the seven starts that he had, but the skills were still there. And so it is one of those things though, where it's like, how much do you want to put into the FIP and, and the underlying situation of like, well, he'll figure it out. Because one of the issues that I did have is that I still worry about home runs becoming an issue. They haven't been yet to be fair. Corey Kluber has not had a substantial home run issue yet, but he's not a good fastball guy. And frankly, I'm surprised he's staved off the home run issue. I guess this year he just didn't have enough time. Maybe he would have developed uh, more of a home run issue. This year with him, it was hits. He gave up 44 hits in 35 and two-thirds, which I guess is why people are still favorable on him because if he had pitched all year, a 370 BABIP was not going to last on Kluber. But he's going to be 34. He's a tough profile because... Yeah, the strikeout rate was down to 23% this year, but the swinging strike rate was still 12%. And that's that's strong. And uh, that was what it was at when he was posting 28, 29, 35. Well, pardon me. 28, 29% strikeout rates, yes. But when it was 34%, he had a 16% strikeout rate. Sorry to say a bunch of percents in a row. Bottom line is Corey Kluber still very skilled. Are the, Is the walk surge for real? Or is it just a seven-start thing? I think... We'll get more clarity on where he's at when he comes back, which is supposed to be toward the end of this month. So we'll get a month plus, hopefully some playoffs um, to kind of analyze where Kluber is. I think I'm already mentally kind of moving him down a little bit. So I think he'll be more of, of 20 than 16 right now. And then he'll have to work his way back into those teens there. So I'm actually, I just did that move here. I moved him to 21, just behind Granky for Corey Kluber. And uh, he can work his way back up by showing me that he's all right when he comes back from that ulna, fractured ulna situation. Aaron Nola's next. Um, he has rebounded in season. He was having issues where it looked like, man, is he ever going to come out of it? When you're in the throes of that, even if you don't have a guy on your fantasy team, I, I don't have any Nola shares. Um, you know, I thought the, there was full full tax on what he did last year, which I understood. I just was paying for other guys. It's not even like I was a total fade on him. I just was paying for other guys since his price was full full price this year. And when he had like a 506 ERA through his first seven starts, I'm like, geez, dude, 
what's going on? And then he kind of rallied, and then it got back up as high as 489 on June 15th. But since then, he's looked like the NOLA of old. In fact, uh, of old, of last year. A 10-start run of a 217 ERA, 76 strikeouts in 66 in the third. He's been an absolute monster. He's still he's still great. He's going to be 27 next year. Um, he's a top He's a top 15 guy. Luis Castillo, I was a year early, which is annoying, but I did not... I did not push back at all from where I wanted to be with Luis Castillo. The market didn't either, though. Credit to the entire fantasy market. His ADP did not really drop. Luis Castillo cost virtually the same that he did the year before, despite a disappointing overall 2018. Part of it is that he finished finished so strongly, and so people were still buying in there. And they've been handsomely rewarded. 269 ERA, which is very nice, and a 111 whip. NL best, 6.1 hits per nine and 172 strikeouts in 143 and two-thirds. He's a top 15 guy for me. Coming in at 13, or excuse me, 14. At number 13 is his teammate Trevor Bauer. Um, And that's now three Cincinnati Reds that I've named with with Gray just on the outside looking in, Castillo firmly in, and, uh, and Bauer right there with him. Nice little trio that they've set up here. This is a very interesting team. They've still got some intriguing offense as well. Uh, Aristides Aquino, best player ever, so that's huge. So they're going to have him hitting 74 homers next year in the middle of their lineup. It's going to be great. Uh, but no, Bauer, he's really hit the ground running with the with the Reds. He, we, we, we know what he is now, I think. I think we've seen there was some volatility this year, but we've seen that uh, he's good. He's really good. He's not. He wasn't quite as good this year as he was last year. That was a career year, though. And you know, putting somebody, holding them to the standard of their 2.21 ERA when they were a career, what? What was he? I'm doing the numbers right now here. He was a career 4.36 ERA. I mean, come on. I understand that we knew he could develop and that Bauer had the tools to be way better than that ERA, but 2.21 was not his new norm. So he's at 3.74 this year. Boatload of strikeouts, 200 strikeouts in 168 in the third innings. He's a top 15 guy as well. The aforementioned Patrick Corbin shoved it in my eyes, said, "What? Forget you, man. I, I'm first year of a contract, and I'm I'm a monster again." He's really backed up his breakout season from last year, very impressively. I have hats off to Patrick Corbin. I've been really impressed with what he's been able to do. Um, really hasn't. Uh, hasn't wavered at all there there was a little three start run and it's frustrating too because you know the ups and downs start to start you just never know dude throws a shutout and the very next start he gives up six uh eight runs six of them earned in two and two-thirds now the shutout was against miami and the meltdown was in cincinnati and that kind of tells you the difference of opponent and everything but it's just so frustrating he also that was the first start of a three-game road trip for him basically at Cincinnati, at San Diego, at the White Sox. In those three starts, Corbin put together an 11.37 ERA, giving up 20 runs, 16 of them earned in just 12 and two thirds. So that was his only blip, though. And you know, if you kind of started worrying about him there, like I get it because it's three in a row, but it was only three out of his 14. They just happened to be in a row. He gets home, settles down with a big start against Philadelphia, and he took off again. He's got a 245 ERA and 78 strikeouts in his last 10 starts, spanning 62 in the third innings. Patrick Corbin, top 12 guy coming in at 12 there. Uh, I have Noah Syndergaard at 11. 
I have such a difficult time quitting this guy. He frustrates me to no end, man. This was a guy I took in a lot of leagues this year. I was really hoping for basically his ERA from last year, a better whip, more strikeouts, and more innings. He had a 303 ERA, a 121 whip, and a strikeout per inning last year. I was thinking 303 ERA, 115 whip, you know, 30% strikeout rate. That has not come to fruition. His volatility has been maddening. He had, you know, basically a, a five low, fo- excuse me, low fives to mid fours ERA for the bulk of the year. Uh, only recently did he dip back below four, and you know he's been on a big run of late. In fact, Noah Syndergaard kicked off this run. Uh, let's see. You could really kind of start to pinpoint things back with a start in late May at the Dodgers, which is always nice when you stand tall against them. It was a baseline quality start, six innings, three runs, but five strikeouts. It really kicked off a string here where he's had 12 starts, and they've all been quality starts except for one, two, just two. Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, I'm doing this on the fly. Uh... Three, three, three non-quality starts in this run here of of twelve for Noah Syndergaard, but he hasn't given up more than four earned in any of them. And one of the non-qualities was just a third of an inning short. Uh, he went five and two thirds, three runs. Bottom line: two ninety-seven ERA, seventy-three strikeouts in the seventy-eight and two thirds. Still doesn't get the strikeouts that I think his stuff merits. I am still hoping that that he has another level though, and uh, we'll, we'll see if it's there. I've still got him pretty high. I understand if some folks have him a little bit lower, maybe closer to 15, 16. I'm still going to keep my flag planted with Syndergaard, though. I've got Blake Snell at 10. I know it's been a trying season with his health and and even with his performance at times, but he's still showing the flashes of brilliance, um, you know, at, throughout. And then when he had the toe situation, he had back-to-back bad starts against KC. Came, came through off of that, really uh, really dominated for a good while, 178 ERA in his next five starts. Actually got walloped at the Tigers of all teams, a Miguel Cabrera Grand Slam, but he had eight strikeouts in the four and a third. He just happened to give a Grand Slam to Miggy. Uh, bounced back with a great start at Boston. Was wobbly again for three starts. That included the Angels, Yankees, and Twins. Um, and then was good, was actually cruising uh, until he got hurt on July 21st, or after his July 21st start. Ha- finished with a 164 ERA, 31 strikeouts, 6 walks in 22 innings. That's a four-start span for Blake Snell before he had to get uh, arthroscopic, sur- excuse me, arthroscopic surgery to remove a loose body in his, loose el- in his left elbow. Uh, he is expected to return in September. If he closes strong, people will still be fully bought in on him. I've got him top 10. I have Steven Strasburg at 9, absolute beast. Um, quietly, quietly having a great season this year. I understand the 372 ERA does not jump off the page as like, holy hell, this is so excellent. But he's tied for, the, or has the NL lead in, in wins at 14, which is huge, plays up in fantasy. He had 10 last year. I mean, he's, uh, he's going to set a career high this year if he gets two more wins. And despite as good as he's been, He's never had more than 15 wins for Strasburg. But he has a 107 whip as well and 181 strikeouts in 152 innings. So the ERA doesn't jump off the page, but yet despite a 372 ERA, Strasburg is 7th. 
on the Razball Player Raider. That tells you how great everything else is. Now, the wins do play a big role there, and you can't guarantee wins. They are volatile as hell, but he's so good that you should expect a quality number of them. Um, you know, his expectation should be around 16. And the fact that this is going to be the first year that he actually gets it, well, it's unfortunate, but uh, I still really like Strasburg. He's awesome. He's a top 10 guy. I have back-to-back Cleveland Indians here, and you know I've already mentioned uh, Carrasco, get well soon, and Kluber uh, returning from his, his broken ulna. So you know who I'm talking about here. It's Clev Dog, Mike Clevenger. Love what uh, what he's been able to do. Now, yes, I have him as a top 10 guy. I've met eight off of 62 and two-thirds this year, but that's not that's not it, of course. How about a 200-inning season last year of excellence and 121 and two-thirds the year before that? So you add all that up, and you have 384 innings of a 304 ERA and 433 strikeouts for Mike Clevenger. He's a beast. And, you know, obviously the health this year undercut him, I don't know that it's something that I'm baking in as a major concern next year, though. I think what's so impressive about the fact that he has a 302 ERA is that coming off the IL this year, he had two mega duds. He gave up 12 earned in six and the third innings at Texas and at at Baltimore. And it's like, damn, that sucks. But he was coming off the IL, so you had to just be patient with him, keep running him out there. Usually two dud starts out of 11 can really tank your ERA. But he's rallied with a 183 ERA in his subsequent 44 and a third innings for Mike Clevenger, including 58 strikeouts against just 10 walks. He's a top 10 guy, which also means that Aaron Savali, no, I'm just kidding. Shane Bieber is the other one. And yes, I've got him all the way up at seven. This guy's an absolute beast and he's doing so much of what I hoped he would do this year. I had trepidation with him because people were betting on the come and I wasn't ready to until I actually saw some command from him. But he has done, he has executed what I wanted him to do to be bought in. So I will take my L for for not buying in ahead of time and, and having some worries that there was a little bit of, of Michael Pineda, Jeff Samarja to him and give him the credit and those that bought in on him the credit for saying, you know what? No, I see more than that. I see the ability to command the ball and not be so hittable. He was the prototypical case, Bieber was, of showing control over command. Hitting the zone all day, but throwing way too hittable of pitches. And he's really fixed that this year in, in big ways where he's down to a 7.1 hits per nine. That's three hits per nine off of his rate from last year. Uh, strikeouts have soared up to 31%. Walk rate is still 5%. That's excellent. Home runs are up a little bit from 1.0 to 1.2. I'm fine with that, though. Those are solos for the most part. When the dude's on, he's a shutout uh, waiting to happen. He has two this year, which is great. In bit. like You just don't see many shutouts. So he leads baseball with three complete games and two shutouts. By the way, it's not a complete game shutout. You didn't throw a shutout if you didn't throw a complete game. I know it sounds cooler, and I'm sorry to be pedantic, but it's not like it's no need to say it. Just say shutout, then everyone knows it was a complete game. You can have a complete game without a shutout, but you can't have a shutout without it being a complete game. Anyway, Shane Beaver, number seven. Uh, I still have Chris Sale at number six. I do. I know. I know. I know the trials and tribulations of what he's done this year, and yet I still see 206 strikeouts. In 140 and two-thirds innings, uh, an MLB best 13.2 
strikeouts per nine. He's an absolute strikeout master. I know he's 6-11, and 11, dog shit bullpen. Poor, piss poor pitching on his own, too. Can't all be blamed on the bullpen. Uh, he's, he's done plenty of it to himself here, starting off horribly and recently getting trounced uh, by New York twice that kind of interrupted a uh, decent run. Actually, no, I, th- I thought, he, okay, I will say this. Mentally, I thought he was on a hotter run than, than Chris Sale was when he got trounced by the Yankees in back-to-back starts. He had... Uh, uh, he did have two good starts coming into that, but the two before that were both, or excuse me, the three before that were five earned run outings. The volatility has been so frustrating. I imagine from a DFS standpoint in particular, because in Roto, I mean, you're still taking the Ks. I mean, the ERA has been bad, 441 from Chris Sale. That's not what you paid for. It's not what you want. The uh, But the 109 whip and the elite strikeouts tell you that the, that ERA is, is BS. But anyway... Check these ERA totals out, earned run totals since June. 0, 0, 2, 3, 5, 5, 5, 0, 2, 6, 8, 0. It's like he's either getting crushed or Chris Sale's dominating. By the way, the, the 0 was the most recent start where he did have eight shutout innings against the Dodgers, or against the Angels, excuse me, after, um, after getting trounced by the Yankees twice. So, I don't know. I've still got him six. I'm, I'm sure some people will have him even higher. I don't even know if I'm going to be anywhere near the high man. I just I just was pointing out that I'm sticking with him, and we'll see how other folks uh, treat Chris Sale. But I, I don't think you can go much lower than this. In fact, I think you can definitely go higher, too. If you wanted to put Chris Sale three, I really wouldn't have an issue with it. I have Walker Buehler at five. Um, you know, the hype train, we're talked about it during the playoffs i tweeted out like yo this playoff tax is gonna be bananas and it was and it hasn't mattered he's been awesome in fact this is kind of an interesting time to compare for walker Bueller because he has exactly the same amount of innings as he did last year 137 and a third on the button and his era and whip are both worse but they're still both excellent they were so elite last year though that you know, it would be hard for Walker Buehler to maintain those two rates. So the fact that he's worse than his 262.96 combo from last year doesn't speak ill on him at all. He's got a 308 and 1.0 combo, which is fantastic. 29% strikeout rate, 4% walk rate. And on any given day, he's that kind of guy who's like a no-hit threat. Like that's that's what we're dealing with here. And he's really just coming into his own. It's about to be a nasty run for this 24-year-old right-hander. Obviously, he'll be 25 next year. I got Walker Bueller as a top-five guy. Now, this next guy, I almost put number one, but I got to see where he lands and what happens here because I talked at the outset about my situation with uh, guys in the first year of their big deal as the top dog, the mega contract, new new city, all that. And so if Garrett Cole goes somewhere where he's, you know, rocking some $200 million contract. I might lay off him a little bit. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm nervous. I love Garrett Cole, though. I really hope Houston resigns him. If Houston resigns Garrett Cole, he will be my number one pitcher. Boom. Done. If not, I think he's going to be closer to four or five here. So I've got him at four right now. MLB best 226 strikeouts in his 156 and two-thirds. Two brilliant seasons with the Astros. They've untapped the the guy that went number one overall. This is why he went number one overall. This is what those who were banging their heads against the wall, I, I include myself amongst that group, 
screaming that Garrett Cole had more in the tank than what we saw with Pittsburgh. This is what this is what we meant. And I was by no means out on a limb or on an island with that take. So I'm not, again, not trying to take like credit for that or anything. But I loved when he got traded to Houston. It, it's panned out absolutely as well as I could have possibly hoped. He's been elite. We'll see where he goes in the offseason. And uh, I've got him number four right now for Garrett Cole. Number three is Jacob deGrom. And, uh, you know, now you're getting into a situation. I, obviously, Cole's there, too, where you could really rank these guys in any order. If if you want to put DeGrom number one, I don't think that's out of bounds. Uh, NL best, 189 strikeouts this year and 148 innings. 268 ERA, 107 whip. He's awesome. He's great. What more can I really say about him or the next two guys, the two the two older guys here? And I might as well finish it the way I started it, talking about how interested I am or how fascinating. What I forget which word I've been, which keyword I've been using more, whether it's fascinating or interesting. But it's going to be remarkably fascinating to see where Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, who I have at two and one respectively in my rankings right now, where they go, because Scherzer. Uh, injured currently with a rhomboid strain. What the frick is a rhomboid? Don't know. Fake muscle. Get out of here. Um, going to be 35 next year. Is this going to start to cut into him? Still been amazing. Still been absolutely amazing in every possible way. The lowest, the lowest I could take him is three. Lowest I could take Scherzer is three. And that's if Cole resigns, really. Um, in Houston. And then Verlander, going to be 37, but getting better with age. And by the way, I don't know if I said this on pod already or on my stream. Can we dispel with the myth that he was like reborn in Houston as if he was slogging his way through the back end of his contract in Detroit and had to be saved by Houston? He had one bad season. One! Then he played through a core muscle injury that he talked about. He had surgery uh, before the season, but he pitched 206 innings, so we automatically assume, well, he was healthy because he pitched, and that's not how it works. And then he was clear at the end saying, yeah, I gutted that out because that's, I mean, that's just Justin Verlander's demeanor is that if he can take the ball and be you know 85 percent of himself he's going to and that resulted in a 454 era and a 140 whip it wasn't a good year but that was in 2014 then 15 16 he was injured in 15 but when he came back he had three uh he had 133 innings of quality work but if you had 15 and 16 together 361 361 innings of a 317 ERA and 103 whip and then if you add his partial season uh, well I can't really hang on I could probably do that oh, I know we're getting late here how how long have I been going I know we've just pushed over an hour give me a second here I'm going to do this I'm going to do this for you we can do this on FanGraphs page I can do the full deal here where I uh, where I do the cross year game logs to give you a full because this pisses me off. Another thing that pisses me off too is this notion that they they gave him his high fastball. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. He discovered it in 15. Uh, he rediscovered it in 15 when he got good again. When he first came off the IL, Justin Verlander in 2015 struggled a bit. And because I, I remember talking about it, because obviously I never shut the hell up about Justin Verlander. Uh, so he had a few bum starts, and he was kind of wobbly. And everyone was like, "Oh, what's going on with Verlander? Bad season last year. Doesn't start his season till June this year. Is he toast?" He rediscovered his high heat that year. So anyway, from 15 
through the train, which I think was on, I have to get the exact date here. Bear with me, folks. I appreciate when you guys understand that I'm going to uh, do this stuff live on the uh, on the solo casts. He was traded August 30th. Okay, so I got to go through August 30th of 2017. Because it's not, there's no rebirth. No freaking rebirth. It pisses me off. Okay, so from 15 through 17 with Detroit, Verlander had a 338 ERA in 533 innings with a 111 whip, 25% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. Now, I grant that he got better with Houston. I, I Duh. Like, I, I can read numbers. I, I, I get that. I'm not denying that. I'm denying this notion, and I heard it on MLB Network, which I like, man. I mean, this is not like a, MLB Network sucks. It was one of the guys, and I'm, I don't remember who it was. I'm not even trying to like purposely like go at them, but it was just some offhanded bullshit about how he had like a four or five year down period in Detroit, and then came out of it on the other end with Houston. No, he didn't. He had one bad year, finished brilliantly with the Tigers. And then was traded to Houston. Anyway, he's awesome. It's crazy how he's aging like a fine wine. It's been brilliant. Um, he leads baseball with 15 wins. He leads the AL with 282, uh, with a 282 ERA, excuse me. And he leads the AL with 162 and two thirds innings. He leads baseball with a .85 whip. Justin Verlander, he's my number one guy right now, even though he's going to be 36, excuse me, 37 next year. I don't see any reason to fade him though. If you're just going to say, well, he's 37 and I don't want to be left holding the bag, I mean, I don't know that that's a good enough reason in the face of of the performance that he's putting up. As I mentioned, if Garrett Cole resigns in Houston, I will vault him to number one. But uh, that's where I'm at right now. So let me know your thoughts. You can leave it in the comments of this post uh, or hit me up on Twitter at Spore. Come by my stream, twitch.tv slash Spore. I stream most nights. In fact, my girlfriend's about to go on a, a business trip to Germany for a week. And I'm like, oh, yo, it's going to be bachelor week. I'm going to be streaming my butt off. Uh, and I usually start in the later, later evening and go you know, late into the night. So come by, talk through this with me. Give me your thoughts. Anybody that I really missed mentioning. I'm really interested in that too because I, I named 50 guys. Is there anybody that you're like, how could you not mention X within these 50 for even a consideration? Um, as far as like the rankings, don't uh, don't get too crazy. I still want to hear your thoughts, but don't get too locked into how could you have this guy at 18 and this guy at 12. That's more malleable. I'm really interested in where you, if you have a big discrepancy, if you're like, you can't have Walker Buehler at five, you got to have him at 20. I want to talk to you because first off, you're crazy, but I also want to, those kind of discrepancies, yes. But if it's like a, if it's like a three to seven spot dip, that's not as much. If we're talking like 10 plus, then we have a disagreement and I'm eager to f- hear what you think and, um, and, and, and get more into this. It's crazy that we're wrapping up, and we're not quite wrapping up. I mean, we have a season, or we have a month and a half left, but it's time to start looking forward to 2020. And so I thought this would be an interesting topic. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening. Back tomorrow with Justin. Justin.